Welcome to this quick hitter episode of the Cyber Guy podcast. I'm your host, retired FBI Special Agent Darren Mott. And in this episode, I'm going to talk about three stories, or actually more than three, but three topics that I ran across this week that I think are of interest and note and to help increase your awareness of the cyber crimes it faces. So first off, I want to thank you again, as always, for listening in to, uh, to my podcast. It's my goal to help folks that listen and take the time to, to listen to this podcast, understand the cyber crime world around us. And cyber crime encompasses a whole lot of different things from ransomware type hackers to phishing attacks to nation state actors to really terrorism cyber actors. So I try to talk about all those things. You kind of have an understanding of what the threats are out there that face you because there's a lot of news articles every day about the different cyber attacks that are going on. So I'm hoping to use these midweek um, quick podcast to just kind of touch on some items. Just again, it's for your awareness. I, again, appreciate those of you who take the time to listen. So I want to be mindful of your time and give you information that hopefully is useful to you, uh, your business and your family, ideally. So this one, I'm, this particular podcast, I'm going to talk about a couple, couple things that popped up that I posted on my LinkedIn account. Um, if you want to find me there, it's Darren Mott, D-A-R-R-E-N-M-O-T-T. You can't miss me. It says the cyber guy in my profile. Feel free to, to connect and uh, you can see the stuff I post there. But this will give me a, an opportunity to go into a little more depth uh, on some of those things. So the first one I want to talk about real briefly is, a, is an article I found um, from a, a website. It's more of a blog post from, called lifestyle.livemint.com. Uh, the particular writer's name is, I should have had that up, is, uh apologize, Nitin. Sridhar. I apologize if I mispronounce his name. This came out this week and basically has to do with uh, the SolarWinds attack and actions that uh, particular com- companies are looking at. And basically, the, the, t- the, the title of the headline, or <laughs> title, the headline title was State Sponsored Cyber Attacks Have Corporate, corporate uh, Executives Worried. My response to that is, and they should. I mean, if you are a corporate executive and you don't understand that cyber actors are targeting your information, then you have huge problems. So let's be honest. The merging of criminal cyber actor and nation state actor activity has been happening for a decade. It is only now, it seems to be only now, that the corporate world is finally catching on. The one positive of the solar winds attack, at least in my perspective, is that the private sector may finally be coming to the realization that hostile nation states are utilizing their national security apparatus to conduct cyber attacks. Not just for intellectual property theft, which we hear a lot with China, but for economic and geopolitical purposes. China, North Korea, Russia, Iran, they all have different motivations for why they do what they do when they attack corporations and and networks here in the United States. China, largely for intellectual property and for some geopolitical purposes. Russia is largely geopolitical in their their purposes for what they hack, um, uh, and and they're very good at it. So they're hard to find. North Korea does it largely for financial gain. Uh, the that particular regime obviously is in a money crunch situation. So their their hackers are hacking with ransomware to to steal and for, to steal get money to get financial gain. And Iran has a variety of different different rationales for for why it is they do what they do. So how does, a com- how does a company deal with this? How do they counter this activity? The only, well, let me rephrase it. The, the, probably the best way to do that is to develop a counterintelligence strategy. The problem is most companies don't know what a counterintelligence strategy is. Most of these organizations with their cyber attacks are looking to support their, their national 
security infrastructure by gathering intelligence, whatever that looks like. It might be financial intelligence, maybe economic intelligence, it may be political intelligence, but they're looking to gather intelligence. So the way you stop that is by creating a counterintelligence strategy. And if more companies did that, I think they would benefit from that. Now, the problem, of course, is that this is not on the radar of most executives as they're still trying to come to terms with what they need to do strictly from a cybersecurity perspective alone. Uh, I got my master's degree a couple years ago, and the topic that I wrote on was that companies need to incorporate a counterintelligence strategy along with their cybersecurity strategy. If you're interested in reading a copy of it, it's not tremendously long, and it's whether it's good, bad, I know I got a good grade on it, but it might have been they were just pushing me through the program. Hard to say. I'm happy to provide it if you want a copy to read it. It kind of talks about what the threats are, how they're how they're structured, and and, and gives a, a quick little primer on how companies could incorporate a counterintelligence strategy. But you have to find people that understand counterintelligence and develop that strategy that has a way to neutralize their intelligence gathering means. That means there's a lot of different ways to take this. You can you have to find out how to protect your crown jewels. You have to come up with ways to find reconnaissance of your network and try to stop it. There's a lot of things that different organizations in the United States are doing to do this. The FBI has what's called the National Defense Cyber Alliance. It's here in Huntsville. And uh, members of the clear defense community come together and they share intelligence they have about, you know, stuff they find in their network. Let's just go, let's just go with that. And they share that information. So it's a collaborative sharing environment, but it's also really a counterintelligence strategy that they're using to figure out how are the bad guys trying to get our information and how do we stop it? So if you want more information on that, let me know. I'm happy to talk to you about it. My, if you know, if you've not listened to all my podcasts, my background is 20 years doing cyber and counterintelligence. So I certainly can combine those two things together and, and at, at a minimum help you come up with a quick and down and dirty way to at least start a counterintelligence discussion within your organization. My next two topics are on the same topic, actually, the next two articles, rather, are they have to do with ransomware, which we cannot go a day without seeing some kind of ransomware attack somewhere. So a listener um, emailed me this particular attack that happened recently, and it was with from the Underwriters Laboratory. If you look on your electrical outlets, if you have a power strip, you probably have a little tab on it that says UL. This is a company that that does does safety certification for for things, and they suffered a ransom attack that encrypted their servers and caused them to shut down systems while they recover these. They're the oldest. So I'm, I'm reading this. I should mention from Lawrence Abrams from BleepingComputer.com. And it said that uh, the the basics of this was they suffered a ransom attack last week that encrypted devices in their data center. To prevent further spread, they shut down its systems and it made it impossible for employees to do their job. So did they pay the ransom? Did they do whatever? Hard to say. Um, But according to a source familiar with the attack, UL had decided not to pay the ransom and restoring from backups, which is fantastic. If you have backups in place that you test and can confirm the work, then backups are great. If... You never test your backups. You keep them connected to your network so that you can do the backups and you don't have some kind of offline portal of your backups. Then chances are, if ransomware guys are smart, and this is kind of where the bad guys are going, they will infect your network and then wait around for the malware that causes the ransomware to load to get pushed into your backup. So when you back up your system from a ransomware attack, the malware is still there. Now, how do you solve this? You have offline backups that you test and make sure that they're they're solid. The problem is that costs money. And a lot of companies just don't have the time or resources to, to keep those things going. So 
you know, if you're a victim of ransomware attack, just understand that that's kind of kind of coming your way. And this brought up another article I saw this week that ha- came, comes from a, a, a website called nationalinterest.org. The title of the of the of the article is "Ransomware Gangs: Why It's Time to Stop Paying Them Off." The author of this particular article is Jan Leminster. I apologize if I mispronounced her name, but the, basically, basically the point of this is it was an interesting article that called for ransomware victims to stop paying the ransom, as it simply allows the ransomers to invest in newer and better technologies to stay ahead of the security experts. And as I said many many times on this podcast. Technology advances very quickly. The bad guys are the first ones to figure out how to find the vulnerabilities within that technology and utilize those vulnerabilities for bad actions. Law enforcement is is, is behind all of that, figuring out how to deal with the bad guys, and the politicians are off in the, in the background dealing with things that have nothing to do with any of this. So makes it very easy for bad guys to do what they do and get away with what they get away with. But um, this particular... Um, stance not to pay not to pay ransom folks is is not a unique take um, but it's a debate that largely justifies law enforcement stance to not pay the ransom because if the bad guys don't have money it's hard for them to invest in new technologies new methodologies keep their infrastructure up and going they would basically bleed themselves dry but obviously if you need your data and you have no else other way to get it you're going to pay for it but there's a paragraph within this article that makes a great point, and it says, quote, Aside from the moral objections we might have to routinely paying money to criminals, this practice causes two important practical problems. First, it encourages complacency in cybersecurity. This complacency was best exemplified when a hacked company paid a ransom but never bothered to investigate how the hackers had breached their system. The company was promptly ransomed again by the same group using the same breach two weeks later. And this is the point. If you are listening and you have a company and you get hit with ransomware and you pay the ransom and you don't do anything to figure out why the ransom occurred, you have no incident response plan, you have no forensics capabilities, close up shop and call it a day because, as as indicated here, the bad guys are going to come back and hit you again. But this creates the problem with paying the ransom. It's a quick hit. If you have cyber insurance, the cyber insurance company may negotiate a lower payment for the ransom, which you think that's great. I'm not paying as much. I paid my, I, that's why I pay my premium. So the cyber insurance companies will pay the breach. But I guarantee you in this case, with the example in this article, the cyber insurance company may have paid the first time, but I'm going to willing to guess they did not pay the second time. You're going to start seeing riders and all sorts of other things within insurance policies that require you to do as a corporation, some kind of cybersecurity hygiene to prevent these type of activities, if you don't take those steps, then they may not pay the claim. So that's going to be a problem. But um, and this creates an issue because I saw another article um, that also claimed that organizations are not taking cybersecurity seriously. Actually, it's the, it's the one I just quoted. And it likely stems from the mindset that we don't have anything anyone would want. Understand, people, they are coming for everybody. So companies, corporations, executives really need to open their eyes um, in order to understand what the threats are that are targeting them. You know, if if you're having a hard time convincing your executives what these issues are, give me a call. I'll be happy to come do a webinar for 45 minutes and kind of lay it all out with examples and, and things like that. So it's a service that you're certainly welcome to hit me up for if, if you think that's important. Last two articles have to do with third-party data theft. So um, I came across an, uh, an article this week uh, had to do with a uh, data breach at, involving Kroger 
uh, supermarket information. Now, Kroger themselves was not hit, but essentially what this particular news article showed, it highlighted the risk associated with providing corporate data to third parties. Companies are going to have to use cloud data or starting to use cloud data to try to offset some of their their risk by putting it on a third-party system, which is supposed to have better security. But in this case, you know, they are spreading the risk across additional infrastructure that A, you don't control, and B, whose cyber defense posture is unknown. And while it appears the data from this Kroger loss may be limited, it should be a wake-up call to companies to review their business processes and assess risk both internally and externally. So here's a key paragraph from the article. Quote, at this time, based on the information provided by Acelian, which is the, the third-party provider that Kroger had shared their, uh, was saving their data on, uh, so provided by Acelian and its own investigation, Kroger believes that less than 1% of its customers, specifically customers of Kroger Health and Money Services, have been impacted. In addition, current and certain former associates will be notified that certain HR records have been impacted. Now, this is written to minimize the impact of this breach. But if you ask me, it does the opposite. If the information targeted in this breach was financial and health-related, that highlights a targeted attack with specific high-sensitive personal data being targeted. Companies need to identify your crown jewels and figure out ways to protect them. Clearly, they didn't do a very good job protecting it, or at least selling it. I'm, I'm, I'm amused at the fact that they say less than 1% of the customers. Well, let's say that Kroger has 2 million customers, and I don't know what Kroger's, you know, how many customers they have, but... They're all over the place. I'm thinking two million is not necessarily an unrealistic amount. So what's you know one um, percent of two million is twenty thousand. If I'm doing my math correctly, that's a lot of data, especially if it's coming from the health and money side. So you have health information impact, you have financial information impacted. That's going to be that is a problem. That is certainly an issue that Kroger is going to have to deal with, regardless of how minimal they they try to make it. The other articles from the Wall Street Journal. Um, the writer was uh, Tanel Hobbs and Sarah Randazzo reporting. And the headline is, Hacker claims to have stolen files belonging to prominent law firm Jones Day. And I found some mild amusement in this article in the sense that when I was working in the Cleveland division, I am certainly aware, well, actually, when I worked with the FBI, I'm certainly aware that this is not the first time Jones Day has had an issue with a cyber attack. Let's just put it that way. So, uh, and, and apparently, in this case, a hacker claims to have stolen files belonging to Jones Day and posted them on the dark web. Well, Jones Day has many prominent clients, including President, former President Trump and other major corporations. Uh, and Jones Day, in a statement, disputed its network had been breached. The statement said that a file-sharing company that it, was, that it has used was compromised and had information taken. So again, the point being here. So Jones Day may not have had their network compromised. But where they sent their information, it was compromised, allegedly, here in this article, as it says, as it, as it points out. So, so I, I, I point all this out just to make the point that if you are a company and you are using third-party cloud storage data, you need to expand your risk profile to that company, and hopefully they'll allow you to do some kind of third-party risk assessment um, in order to, or some kind of audit of their system to verify the security protocols that are in place to protect your data. Uh, and, and we're seeing more and more that this is really not the case. So something to think about if you, again, are using third-party data. So with that, I'm going to close up shop for this quick midweek podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. There should be another podcast tomorrow. Today is Tuesday. It is February 23rd. I plan to have a uh, podcast tomorrow on the 24th. 
uh, with a friend of mine who uh, left the FBI several years ago, actually more than a decade and a half ago. But him and I worked on some cases in the mid-2000s where we arrested hundreds of people and did search warrants all over the place. So we're going to talk about that, uh, and hopefully you'll find it entertaining. Again, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. Feel free to email me, darren at thecyberguy.com. If you have questions, thoughts, or comments, please uh, pass this podcast to anyone you think would find it interesting. And again, thanks for listening. Have a good rest of your evening.